Um, welcome to the Mike Oldfield Discography Podcast. Next, this episode is about five miles out. Um, it's an important um, album for the podcast because, to my mind, this is where this is the album that started it. Um, many, many years ago, we were um, in a bar in Prenzlauer Berg somewhere with my brother, and uh, I remember that we for whatever reason, stumbled upon this album and talked for a very, very long time. And um, pretty um, intensely because, um, well, I, I have, um, at least at that time, I, I was very critical of the album. And not that I don't like it, that's not it, but I was critical of the Taurus II um, uh, piece. And um, we, after we, uh, we split, my brothers told me that he couldn't remember anyone talking about an album for so long, and he was absolutely fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. And I think since then, the idea stuck with me that um, we should probably um, expand and extend this into uh, all, for all the albums. Um, and um, since then, I've listened to it many, many times again. I think really, um, as much as I love the first four, this 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 phase starting from Five Miles Out, maybe even Platinum, Platinum. Kiwi 2, Five Miles Up in Crisis. I would say that these are my most listened to albums by Mike Oldfield. Um, I I love going back to them. There's so much. They're just playing fun as much as, as deep and, and, and fantastically composed as they are. Just, just fun. And I, um, so in a way, I feel both overprepared and underprepared because um, there's so much to say. And then on the other hand, I know them so well that um, there's almost nothing to say. It's really. It's a fruitful period um, for him, and I just love going back to it. Um, so, five miles out, I think you can you can approach this from from different angles. I wanted maybe to to open up with two thoughts thought experiments, and then maybe give it like put, um, pass the baton on to you. Okay. Um, it does seem to establish a model for the eighties in the sense that we now see songs appearing alongside the instrumentals. We see one side, the model of one long piece on one side and, and shorter pieces on the other side. I do think that Five Miles Out is different from um, from Crises and, and Islands and, and ultimately um, Heavens Are Open. But it does seem to establish that model, this, this model. And it, often it has been described as, as, as Mike opening up um, to a more pop direction and um, and trying to stay relevant in the 80s. I mean, for many bands in, in that um, from that scene, it, the 80s were hard. Um, yes, for example, many of Genesis, many of, the, many of these bands did um, go down a similar um, route. Um, but I would like uh, here's here are two thoughts. Um, imagine if QE2 had been Mike's debut album. And then we would, he would have followed up with Five Miles Out and Crises, and then would have released Tubular Bells. How would that have changed public perception of his development as an artist? In my mind, probably it would have said, okay, QE2 is a very nice, promising start. Then we have him expand into all these different directions, expand the music into long form pieces, into um, electronic music, and then Tubular Bells would have been um, hailed as a as a triumph, as as a, as, a, um, as establishing himself as a composer, mm -hmm. just my guess. And the other one is: imagine if 
um, so this, this model has often been described as a compromise. So you have one side to satisfy the old fans and the other side to satisfy the, the, the record company. And Mike himself has called it a compromise on, on several occasions. Um, but imagine if he had released an album with one side, the crises title track, on the other, um, on the B side, the Taurus 2 piece. Um, and he had saved the biggest and complementary pop tracks for one album, then I think he would have had one album which would have been hailed as a return to his old form. Yeah. And the other one would have sold probably even more than Crisis and would have been one of the big, big um, pop albums of the, um, of, the eight, of the 80s. So I think as much as it was a compromise, the form he chose, one long form piece on one side and pop, really pop tracks on the other, is completely unique and actually was not as, as commercial as many people um, say it is. It could have just as well alienated both, yeah. like everyone. Yeah. So I think which it did for a few people. Yeah. I mean, that, this is what I, I have um, kind of started to, um, you know, see some reaction videos pop up on YouTube about yeah. my Goldfish albums, and like that seems to be like the what the common man, a response of people who think they know something about music is that they try to kind of like, you know, like hate on the songs, but, mm. you know, but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's an important album. Um, in many ways, I think it's the very first Mac Oldfield I heard, which was Taurus 2. Um, my uncle played it for me on his, uh, from his turntable, uh, in 82, obviously. And then I, I went to the show, uh, in Essen mm -hmm. that same year and I became a big fan. And I became a musician there. I, you know, I keep saying that that I became a musician that night that I saw that show. Um, yeah, I mean, like, um, like, where do we start with this this really uh, outstanding album? So maybe like one of my most recent experiences, I was um, giving a workshop um, a couple of weeks ago in the U.S. And the um, the host, they had a really amazing sound system. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we were listening to music uh, at in the evenings. And I put on Taurus too. Actually, we had we had learned uh, Mount to play Mount uh, Mount Heidi, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, so I played that. And then we also listened to Taurus too. And one of the the guys who was there, he was, you know, he was so you sitting there, and you could tell that he was kind of like sh kind of shocked, like what is this? And he was laughing out loud at some mm. like things that happened in the music, and like you could see that the laughing was sort of the the kind where you know that the laughing is because it's moving you so much. Yeah, because it's so good. It's kind of like so good, but also like like grabbing you by mm -hmm. whatever, right? So and uh, and it was it was an amazing experience to listen again with other people to this music, and it's it's actually a pretty long piece, right? Yes, it's about it's about twenty five minutes. It's yes. one of one of his longest. That is pieces. the irony, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, so the inside the inside of the cover has the track sheet track sheet for for Taurus Two. Uh, for those who remember seeing that, uh, or who have a um, re release or um, a physical copy that has that. Um, also, you I think you can find it on there's a high quality scan somewhere on the internet for those. As it's of discogs, as, as I suppose it's in. The yeah, I don't know, but I I have, I I know that I have a high quality scan of this somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just it's just really interesting. So first of all, like uh, in the canon of things, right? Like we have Taurus too, and I said last time when we were talking about QE two that um, QE two. 
um, five volts out and um, crisis have um, instrumentation in common. And I mm. pointed out, funnily enough, pointed out the banjo, <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and so the ban the banjo um, makes a makes an appearance here in um, in Taurus two, even though like in the track sheet, I don't see it. So. So this is this is kind of like interesting. Like I'm hearing banjo, but is it really there? I don't know. <laughs> so um, your name, Mike, is credited as um, guitarist, bass, keyboards, vocals on this record. Yeah, and it's the um, maybe basically the core live band that recorded this album. So it's Maggie Riley vocals, Morris Bird yes. percussion and keyboards. Interesting, right? Percussion. Mm -hmm. um, Tim, uh, no, no, sorry, uh, sorry. I mean. Morris Pert percussion keyboards that he was actually playing keyboards is something that um, was surprising. Uh, Tim Cross, obviously keyboards, uh, Rick Fan guitars, and um, then a couple of guests like Mike Fry, Patty Maloney, um, pipes, and uh, Carl Palmer, and Graham Broad on drums yeah. for a couple of tracks. So um, David Henschel is not on there, right? No. Not at all, because I I thought the the the, the, the session with Palmer, I believe Henschel was part of that, but I'm not like one hundred percent certain. There was another track recorded which went on to um Palmer's. It says it says that and this is kind of like maybe pointing to something that somebody else may have been involved. Because it says Mount Tidy produced by Mike Offit and engineered by Richard Mainwaring. Mm -hmm. Um I don't know how to pronounce that name. But but maybe because the the track uh, five months out is all, was also um, co-produced with Tom Newman, mm -hmm. and um, like everything else on the record is produced by Mike. Yeah, uh, but we have like the appearance of a couple of tunes or sections that are uh, band compositions or mm -hmm. like, have been contributed by the other musicians, um, which is which is unique to this, really unique to this record. Yeah. Um, so and and but not not much about that is really um obviously like um family man we have the credits to um to the whole band i think as yeah. writers um then there is the uh the very last section of uh, or we do as far as i know the middle section is all the, the sort of the fugue is also um as Tim, Tim Cross, yeah. right? And, and funnily enough, actually, that one is also part of Taurus 2. So Taurus 2 exactly. is also yes, yes. co-credit. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, the fugue. Like, who would have expected something like that, you know? I mean, it's not really quite a fugue. No. But it's it's really it's a really nice, <laughs> a really nice section, I have to say. Yes, and you know, like, um, okay, speaking, coming back to what you said. Okay, so it's the, those two sides. But here on this record, those two sides are actually like in a way more connected yes. than the two sides on other albums Absolutely. of this, in a yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> so like uh, the, the main Taurus 2 theme is the Five Miles Out theme, uh, right? So he's yeah. like um, using these these bookends, you know, Taurus 2 and Five Miles Out for the rest of the record. And then the rest of the record isn't, you would say, isn't that much really just with three songs. But then in the middle, you have we Do, which is, kind of like a big thing mm -hmm. also. Uh, Mount Heidi is one of his most uh, rhythmically complex pieces. Yeah. And Family Man as like a very simple, but not simple in a bad way, really cool uh, pop song that got covered uh, by um, 
Hall and Oates. And um, like, it's funny, like if you go, um, because Daryl Hall has a, has a show called um, Daryl's House on mm -hmm. YouTube. Actually, I played at Daryl's House many times in that club. Yeah. So, um, and, and there are like um, Sammy Hagar performing Family Man with Daryl Hall and um, that Cheap Trick. Playing a cheap, yeah, cheap trick. Playing a version of Family Man is fucking great. <laughs> and um, and also Chromio, like a like yeah, they're a big Holland Out fans, yeah. Yeah, and that that Chromio, that Chromio version is just so cool. I mean, it makes me laugh. Like, That's why you know, I just interviewed them. I should have asked them about my whole field. <laughs> you should have. Yeah, <laughs> really. Um, so this this album is like kind of uh, all over the place. Like sonically, it really sits between the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of um, Lindrum and it has a lot of um, um, Fairlight, right? So it's Not the first, yeah. first record that features the Fairlight. Yeah. And it actually features all those like really kind of like which people would call cheesy or, or corny sounds. But the combination of the, the, it's like the, the wackiest kind of combination of sounds I, on yeah. this record. You know, I, there's lots of this, 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 this talk about Amarok being Omodon 2. I actually see Five Miles Out as Amarok Zero, sort of. Because it's also, it has this, mm -hmm. this wildness and this boundlessness about it. This, it's, it's so rich. Yes. Um, it takes yes. everything in. It's interesting. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so, so the, um, at some point, I, you know, I was kind of like in my head going through like all the the uh, sound colors and instruments that make an appearance here. So mm. again, we have the vocoder as a yeah, as a rhythmic instrument. Yeah. Um, we have double drumming. Mm -hmm. So um, Morris Port playing two drum kits, obviously overdubbed, um, and where one is panned to the right, other one is panned to the left. And you have the Lindrum kind of like sitting in the middle somehow. So you have like a really big percussion um, and drums rhythm section. Uh, there are the Fairlight uh, pen pipes and uh, mm -hmm. portamento uh, vibraphone samples or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, the sounds that make an, make an appearance um, like that have a really big role on uh, like, for example, on uh, uh, Foreign Affair or Crisis is based on that same sound that makes its first appearance here in Taurus 2. Um, then there is, there are like, like very mid-rangey kind of rhythm uh, guitars that are absolutely unique to this record. Um, and this was the time when he was starting to use or even promote the Mesa Boogie amps. So I think that maybe that like that nasal quality um, mm. has something to do with that. Like the other way he was micro, you know, um, using the microphones to uh, pick it up, but it really, really sounds fucking, fucking great. This record, and it's such a such an incredible mix with the seventies um, analog synthesizers. Um, mm. Then the um, vocal, um, where Maggie Riley kind of like sings a couple of tunes in this in in Taurus too, but there's also like uh, just vocalizing melodies, right? Yeah. And, Which is much closer to what she was also doing in concert. So this one is feels yes. like Crisis yes. feels very like a studio album, mm -hmm. and I think translates 
just a little bit like the, the the big piece, frankly, just a little bit less well to the stage. But but I think this one is just um, it captures the energy of their live performance and then puts it um, to record. Yes, yes, and you know, like um, having David um, having Tim Cross involved is kind of amazing because um, Tim is is kind of like acting like a like you know he's playing the trombones in the in the middle of uh you know like he's playing these arrangements on keyboard that sound like something else so he's it, this is this is kind of like a very rare uh thing to happen on my golf it records where some like uh, you know like a musician contributes that kind of palette that you would um um, expect from somebody who is like experienced recreating sounds mm -hmm. in the studio. And um, as far as I know, Tim Cross was uh, composing for a bit of film and uh, well, for TV most of the time. So he was kind of like the go-to guy then to say, okay, can you do something that, and we don't, you know, we don't have to invite a brass section, but he was mm -hmm. doing that on keyboards. And um, and so like really it's all over the place. And then there is um, uh, Rick Fan playing guitar and I think Rick Fenn is like more present than people think on this. Like also a couple of the, I'm, I'm pretty sure a couple of the solos, the shorter solos are actually a Rick Fenn and mm. on Mike. Um, you know, especially like at the, uh, in the first, in the first uh, section, there are like this, this break with these very uh, experimental guitar lines. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's Rick Fenn, for example. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at the track sheet yeah. here for those who haven't seen it. It's uh, yeah, and and you know, like, and I'm I'm saying I, I was stopping there with the instrumentation orchestration, but there's more. There's uh, Patty Maloney, on <laughs> Maloney on uh, on William Pipes, uh, you know, in combination with some some interesting like like drones, you know, like where you could say like it was the drone from the uh, from the backpack that was probably sampled. Or something mm -hmm. I don't know how he did it um, with with the vocoder you know these these combinations of sounds are just so incredible this and would have been really interesting to know more about the production process there's so little out there but it would have been absolutely fascinating how he put it together I mean like the, one of the maybe um, problems with with Taurus 2 is that at some like some of the edits are seem a little, little heavy-handed like from today's perspective i'm saying from today's perspective because like um he had to kind of like um sort of like um paste together sections yes um th but i think that's just because of it's such a complex thing and he had those 24 tracks available and it was just necessary to kind of splice things together um but anyway i don't i don't mind that at all you could call it heavy-handed. I mean, um, I mean, for me, it's not. I'm just saying that some people say it. Right? I don't find it heavy-handed. I don't find all of the um, transitions to be that great. I have my issues still with Taurus too, but um, we can get about talk about that maybe in a second. Mm -hmm. It's more. I think it's ultimately these things are also my own um, problems um, as a listener. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think I, in terms of engineering, I think it. As I said, I think it captures um, the live spirit. Um, I don't. I don't. I've never thought it was heavy-handed. I thought it was it, um, joyous. You know, it's uh, it, it's not trying. Like crisis is really smooth. Mm -hmm. It has it has this feeling of taking you 
from beginning to end in one seamless movement. And this one has more of these um, just jumpy, more jumpy. My, but that radiates a lot of positive vibes. I just think uh, it totally. And and I just found the banjo uh -huh. in the track sheet. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, totally, totally joyous. Like like. What he was saying around the time was like that music form is a celebration of life. Mm -hmm. And that's really what this what this record is kind of about. It's like that unbounded mm. creativity and um and also like he opened up quite a bit to um referencing things that were going on at the time. Like the mm -hmm. the guitar riffs on this, they are sort of uh, like and I think I mentioned that before. A little bit like um, like "Own Over Lonely Heart" kind of style. Of yeah, it's funny you mentioned it because I, seriously, I mean, with the instrumentation you have there on the album, and and the editing involved, you know, there would have been an opening for a um, Trevor Horn um, collaboration as early as nineteen eighties in the early nineteen eighties. Yes, yes, and you know, I remember that it was like in a way late days for prog rock yep. already, but. This is Mike's first, if you want to say so, first prog rock yeah. outing. Yeah. Um, and it's um, it's kind of like already when the genre was already dying. Yeah, he's, he's sort yeah. of anticipating what the other prog bands were doing. They were sort of keeping elements intact, but um, opening up to, to something different. Um, mm -hmm. Even though still then, I mean, um, it does, does not have the, the um, sort of the headiness and it does not have this antsiness that a lot of the British um, um, prog has. I feel it's, it has the sort of, it has the structure and it has elements of it, but still entirely its own thing. I don't think this um, um, is comparable to, I don't know, uh, close to the edge or something. I think it's really no, it's something right. else. It's really something else. And just just the the fact that um, again, Mike here allows for his folk folk music roots to yeah. really really come through. Um, it's just also I mean I, I keep saying this like sometimes it's um, it's interesting to see what kind of musical um, just in terms of like which scales or which modes mm -hmm. you know um, musical modes he was using. And this this record has Lydian in it, and and especially I mean. Um, Tours too, you know specifically, and like just like the appearance of Lydian wouldn't be so uh, special, mm -hmm. right? If it was like in a diatonic context, but what he does, he takes the Lydian sound and then then just um, moves it around modally. So you know you would have C Lydian and then you would have F Lydian, and that gives like a really really special sound. And like Lydian is like the brightest mode they say, mm -hmm. right? Meaning like it has that has a very open bright mm -hmm. sound. And really, kind of um, fits into what you were saying that this is that this is such a happy, in a way, you know, like a like a I would say celebration. Yeah, know? I mean, um, maybe now is a good time to go back to our first discussion many years ago. Um, I think my problem with with the piece is that it starts out in a very particular mood, and it starts off energetic, not maybe not dark, but it has sort of a. Mm -hmm. Um, a, a rawness to it, and yeah. then um, it increasingly loosens this um, this mood. And then there's of course the the section into the um, the disco um, yeah. disco part. So I have a huge problem with that. Um, I find it takes you completely out of what was before. It takes me. Yeah. Let's put it, it takes me out of it, and then it sort of at the end, 
it tries to go back and make come full circle, but it doesn't really. So that is that is how I see it, how I experience it. Yeah. But so now I've I've thought about this, and I mean, music for me is always a, is a way to to understand myself. I've I've asked myself, why is it that I don't like this? Mm. And um, if I look back, there's, there's actually moments like this several times in Mike's uh, work, mm -hmm. which are like this, but go in the other direction. For example, we have the 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 the, the, the tempest um, movement in Hergest Ridge. Mm -hmm. um, in there's this really I call it a doom metal section in, in Tubular Bells Part One at the beginning, where the um, mm -hmm. um, this this deep droning guitar comes in. Mm -hmm. So I like those, mm -hmm. but I have my issue with this. So I think. My problem is that if it's um, um, we have a problem with, with this, the dark side I have, to the happy yes, side. Exactly. Or, I have a okay. so that is my my issue as a listener. But you know, like, and I think again, it's sort of like, and like maybe I'm going too far here, but I think it's sort of very, very, very clever. Yes, done. probably. And and the um, this this little pop song, which actually like a like a, a French singer covered i don't know if you've ever heard that version which one the the disco song no seriously yes oh, there's 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 a like a three minutes hmm. and it's actually the same music and she just sings like some french lyrics on top of it huh. uh with with the melody wow, I never but, know. yeah um anyway like things are things are just kind of like so um self-referential and uh Yes. In, even in the, I know what you mean, though. Like, I mean, they, maybe that would be like the most kind of, um, how would you say, cheesy, corny aspect, but it's not. Like again, because the melodies, and the, he does this like it's so amazing, where there is like a, there's a, a little bridge in it, with the bridge melody, and the verse melody. They are poly they they are in polyphony with each other. Mm -hmm. And so like you like I listened to this and then I realized, come on, like he he kind of sells this to us as something that is, you know, like that. But then there is like this this little twist to it, which is something that like would somebody would have done who were in writing a symphony. Mm -hmm. Right? Like and it's really it's I, I just love that so much. This this kind of uh I have this like this psychological explanation in the yeah. sense that if you take Hergus Ridge, you come, you have, you have life is is sort of a, a placid stream, mm -hmm. and then it gets disrupted by um, disaster. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a view of the world, and in, in this case, you have um, a far more upbeat um, music, which is then disrupted even more by something positive. I think that is not a coincidence that he's more happy as a person mm -hmm. and as a musician in um, at, at this moment that the that the um, that the non sequitur, this, the sudden arrival of this piece, uh, of this section, comes um, in and takes the piece even more into into this um, light, into the light. Um, yeah. yeah, actually, I, 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 the more I listen to it, the more I can see the whole piece as this um, um, sort of um, taking everything in. Even it's, it, you know, I think I think also it's not really something that is is meant to be meant to make sense. No, think, no, I agree. Or meant to, it's not a designed um, journey, right? It's not like mm -hmm. like look designed to be a journey. It I think it just happens to be what it is, and 
and like we never know like he's maybe had like these different these, these completely different things in mind and then just put them together mm-hmm. right without without thinking much but then as i say like you find that the re- reprise of the first theme is kind of lackluster and i think it's not actually it's one of the most deliberate moments on the on I mean, the end. yeah because like the way that the tempo suddenly slows down is just mm-hmm so heavy and like again like this is something that you you get like more um aware of when you're listening to the live versions mm-hmm. how they play this that it's really like there there's nothing left to chance here so so i think that like for example like the again this little pop song if you pay attention like it's so incredibly complex like the lindrum like this little program drum, mach- mm-hmm. drum machine has like eight different rhythmic layers uh yeah. Uh, then, then, like with with whatever, like shaker overdubs and tambourines, and 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 then when the when the double drumming kind of sets in mm-hmm. on top of that, and everything is just so 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 joyfully. And I see, I read here that it's a uh, Boran actually that uh, mm-hmm. comes in there as well. It's it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of I I really I really. Um, like it and for me it's the one it's the one record that i can listen to after what is it 40 years now yeah where i literally still find new things to hear yeah that makes sense they are kind of like buried like on on the like in the mix or just like very hard pans and soft in the light left or right channel and stuff like that it's really um it keeps on giving for me and this is this is the one like taurus 2 is the piece that i can can that I can recall, right in my in my head from uh, mm-hmm. beginning to end, completely with all the details. Yeah. So that's why my audiation skills kind of like <laughs> are, are pretty pretty good with this album. Do you know if 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 Mike programmed the Lindrons or who um, who did? I do not know, but I would I would say yes. Yeah, it sounds to me like parts that somebody would program who doesn't who is not a percussionist, but I don't know. It could be Morris Pert. Could be. I'm asking because um, when we discussed QE2, we talked um, mm. maybe too much, but I I, I um, expanded a bit on the, um, the drum machine on that album, and he didn't actually get all that much out of it. It's on there. It, it adds um, a metronome and it yeah. adds um, a color. Yeah, but it doesn't. He doesn't really do that much with it, as for example Phil Collins does. But I feel the Lindrum. What is the what is the difference between the Lindrum and the early machines? Is that the Lindrum is entirely programmable. So it is. Add, yeah. So it's really you can it can really and it's group, di- digital and it's di- it's digital. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's, it sounds incredible, of course. But I think the difference is really that it can now program it. Which so so that would mean to me that. Mm-hmm. That, he, that Mike was sort of waiting for something where he could actually really get into it and, and start creating beats from scratch, whereas the the Roland really doesn't offer that yet. Yeah, and uh, I and unfortunately I don't know that much about it, but I think I think that the the patterns uh, that I'm hearing they have 32 steps mm-hmm. rather than 16, so it's like two bars mm. of. Maybe no, I think no. I think it's probably it's probably that's what set the machine apart from what came before. 
I don't know. I really don't know. That this is something so, we would have to. Yeah, do. well, I can say that what sets it apart really is that it is entirely programming from, from scratch. You can you can really make beats from scratch. It mm. sounds a lot better, and it sounds a lot more like a real drum set, um, yeah. or at least it has the, the 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 power of a real drum set. Yeah. Um, it was really expensive. So he must have seen something. It cost uh, five thousand dollars, I believe, well, at the time. Well, he had the Fairlight. He had the Fairlight as well. So yes. So, uh, yeah, there is, there is, um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just the 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 the, the playfulness yeah. of it all. It's just wonderful. There's one, there's one thing in the thing in the track sheet for Taurus Two. I still don't know what it is, or I, I. I forgot, maybe I knew at some point. Well, actually, two things. One, he calls, uh, well, where is it? Like Swan. Yes, Swan, it says. And it says Swan a couple times, and then it also says Swanee. Hmm. And I don't know what that is. I wish I had seen this before when I was making my own uh, diagram or. or, mm -hmm. or yeah, I mean, like for me, this was present from the very first time yeah. I saw the album, right? Which was in '82, and um, yeah, the other sound here is called Loster, or Lost, Lost, L-O-S, as an abbreviation here. I don't know what that is. Everything else seems to be like obvious. Like it's either like a musician's name, um, or you know, like descriptive of the. Instrument. But it's interesting, isn't it? How this um, probably. This wasn't in his mind. He probably just made it after um, he arrived at a sort of an idea. But I think it's interesting how this um, representation, this graphic representation, when when you're young, shapes your your view of the music. Um, I had something different, similar with uh, Klaus Schulz's album Timewind. Mm -hmm. um, if you know the the LP, it also has a diagram of of his um, representation of the piece, mm -hmm. and um, it has a few bars of notes, but mostly it's. Um, Oscillator curves and, um, and and volume shifts and so forth, which is completely different than this is. Mm -hmm. um, but that also shaped yeah, my but idea. I, of but I don't don't forget that this is a technical thing too. Yeah. Because like in order to keep track of what's happening where, you kind of like and for the mix, mm -hmm. you have to know where things are because like so you like on on like I don't know on track fourteen, like you have twenty different things happening. Mm. Right, so it's also like I'm just saying, it's more yeah. than just a graphical representation. It's also like the reality of what got got recorded onto the tape. Yeah, I think one um, there was a few where I wasn't quite sure. Do you? So one thing I noticed was um, what I found interesting. There's a passage from minute three to minute five. I don't think it says the minutes there, but mm -hmm. uh, so it's the, my my view. It's the third section. Yeah. There's a folk theme folkish theme mm -hmm. and it combines with the uh, five miles out theme mm -hmm. and then i found it interesting that he, i think well, if i counted right there's 12 transpositions as well so at the end of that section he goes he takes this this um theme and he goes through 12 transpositions um which i thought was nice and um there was one section which i really wasn't sure do you think that this this from about five minutes to minute eight with the bagpipes do you think that's an omadon reference no no because it really strongly reminded me of it, but it was it's the sound, and it's, it's gold. It's, it's, yeah. it's the sound, um, but it's like more. It's more, and this is this funny because we have Morris Bird on it, and here it says Morris Man. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> but it's the Morris dancing. I think that's what it's referring to. Hmm. Like it's a Morris dance kind of 
okay. section. It's an Irish. Yeah. It's an Irish thing, and yeah, that that melody is just so incredible. I find mm. like it's 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 like the, the melody that's again like using three or four notes, but by the harmonization of like how Mike is doing that, and then also like some transposition that happens, mm -hmm. unexpected transposition is really I I just I just absolutely love it, and for me it makes. It kind of like makes makes total sense in this in this piece. I think it's probably um, because we have some like first of all, this was all recorded in his studio, um, which I think is now called Tile House Studio, and his son runs it. Um, so it's a tiled room for the percussion, and like it's very 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 unique sound on the drums. Um, and you have like we have the Lin drum running through it all. So so the Lin drum is also in this Morris uh, dancing session. A section, and um, and oh, and the the like the 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 recording technology and the room he used back then had such a unique sound. So I think everything is kind of like pulled together by that. Um, and you know, like like the the Morrisman section, you have the the percussion sounds. You have like the he's left in sort of like the sound of the musicians playing. Like mm -hmm. uh, you can you can hear yeah. some some uh, shouting. Yeah, yeah. Like so, it was. They had fun in the studio, probably also like standing around the microphone with, with three, four people and, uh, you know, playing percussion together and stuff like that. It's, uh, and, but it has the vocoder again, like in this yeah, very really cool sounding vocoder and, and really super nice, crunchy rhythm guitars, uh, which make it kind of yeah. rocky. And in a way, for me, this section has, is maybe one that has, Sort of, and it's funny why that I say that, but it has like a, a little bit of the crisis vibe for me. Mm. Funnily enough, like the way that he was using rhythm guitars then, mm. which um, kind of like it's it's like a. There, I think there's a big difference between five months out and yeah. crisis. So, but anyway, like so, in in some small elements, I can see mm. that that step that he might be maybe taking. And funnily enough, in this folk section, right. Yeah, that is interesting. I I, I um I thought a bit of the Moldau, um, mm -hmm. where you also have these sections where because he also imagines uh, a group of dancing, I think peasants or whatever, um, at the side of the river, and uh, because it, this has sort of a, almost a field recording um, aspect to yeah. it, you know, like he was taping, uh, like he was going into a pub in Ireland and actually taping it um, on location. I like I like that. Room, you suddenly hear the room open up, and then you know, these voices. I like that yes. passage a lot. Yes, and I thought of Omadan because the, the passage after that, I think, is the um, tubular bells on um, on recorder orchestra section, where you have the tubular bells being played by. What I, maybe it's not recorded. It sounds like um, an orchestra of recorders. Maybe it's an organ. I'm not quite sure. Um, it's probably it's probably the. Um, I don't I don't know which section you exactly mean, but there's a lot of a uh, pan flute from the oh that maybe is the pan flute yeah pan flute from yeah. the from the uh, fairlight oh that's that's how and that that sounds like like an orchestra oh, that's what you meant before yeah exactly yeah. they're playing tubular bells that is a that I like that section is really cool yeah that is that is the that is the well that is the reprise of the Taurus theme as it opens Taurus one. So mm -hmm. at the beginning we have like the uh, we have the uh, the deep deep sound, the song, and then at the end of that we have that that reprise of the of the Shiva theme with those yeah. sounds, 
And what, what is so cool about that is that that section then um, gets like the tempo gets halved. Mm -hmm. So at first, it, you know, it's, it's original tempo and then suddenly like drops down to half speed, which to me is like mm -hmm. one of these, these amazing effects like on this record, like something that is wow, like suddenly like everything slows down to yeah. half speed. Uh, incredible. And, and, you know, play that half speed, not, mm. you know, so it's, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, like I forgot to mention that the, like the, maybe the cheesiest, but also kind of like funniest and coolest sound on this is the, the Fairlight sampled, uh, vocals, which you can hear like in the, um, what you call the, uh, the fugue section. Mm -hmm. Right. So in the fugue section, you can hear like sampled, uh, pipe organ, uh, sampled voices, mm. the pan flutes, sampled pan flutes, and also the, the vibraphone glockenspiel samples and whatever it is. Um, that's interesting. I, I wasn't so, um, familiar with these sounds. I, I, I always thought the, um, that crisis was a masterclass in the Fairlight, but it's used in a much more, um, conventional way. You know, it I, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think that really what makes the, uh, the crisis record is the, is more of the Oberheim. The Oberheim gives the, I think that the Fairlight gives the, under, like sort of the atmosphere and the, and the mm -hmm. Oberheim gives the base, the, the, the overarching sound. You know, the, um, the, the remix. Well, not the remix, like the 5.1 mix no. of Crisis brings the Fairlight elements um, to the fore and it doesn't, doesn't work that much. I would like, like to. I think it's, no, I agree. Probably not. I heard bad things, but I would love to hear it if I can. Yeah, we could listen to it at some point. Yeah. But it's sort of like, because those sounds really, like if you know, like if you didn't treat them, if you didn't kind of like massage them into something, yeah. they sounded bad. Right. So fortunately, and this is like what I like the stereo remixes we have, um, of five months out in crisis, they have, um, they managed to kind of like massage mm. those early digital sampler sounds in a way that they're ex acceptable and mm. they become part of the organic whole, let's say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean like, so, I mean, there, there are a couple other, um, interesting things I, I can, I have to say about yeah, this record, which I would just, um, quickly do. Can I just maybe just yeah. take one question? Yeah. You said that your uncle played you Taurus too at the time. Did he not play the B side? Was it really that, um, no, he played me both, but I remember that the very first thing I heard was so Taurus too. Okay. At least that's how I remember it. Well, I, I just wanted nine, to mention because you're talking about electronic music before you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, This is I, this is an audio medium, so listeners can't hear it. But this okay. Galaxy Volume Two, um, uh, that's um, a sampler from yeah. a series, a three-part series on what was formerly Klaus Schulze's label, um, IC Digit, uh, mm. which was then already run by someone else. This is one of the most influential series of compilations I ever had, and it's space music. Mm -hmm partly by musicians from, from the label, um, partly from people from outside. I think they're all three incredible. And I just like, love the fact that this was my first point of contact with this album. It's Mount Tidy is on here. Yes. Um, in between all of this space and cosmic yes. ambient yes. and, and Krautrock. And, um, and it fits in perfectly. Incredible. I had no idea that this existed. Either. I can only, I mean, all three parts are so good. Um, this may be, yeah, it has Klaus Schulze on it, actually. Uh, yes, yeah, Klaus Schulze and, and uh, Software and Asha and... But really, the, the, to Brian me... Brian Eno, even. Yeah, Brian Eno. And it's, the, the vocal, this, this album sounds both 
retro and futuristic. That's that's what makes it so crazy to me because it has the rock, but it also has this vo the vocoder. I, I don't think there's an album which has uses the vocoder in this way. Yeah, and then the Lin drum and everything. Yeah, it's really. I don't know. Is it steampunk? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of steampunk. Exactly. Sorry. Okay. Please, <laughs> yeah, please funny, go on. But, but the, funny, funny. You know, I um I didn't think about that. Yeah. Okay. So um, Family Man. Okay. Yeah. I was always wondering. So because, as you know, I'm as a musician, sometimes I, I, I'm like, I played along. You know, to to this this music. Um, funnily enough, the, like I never really tried to learn it properly because mm -hmm. I'm such kind of like I just want to keep some mystery to it's doing but anyway with family man it occurred to me that it's an f minor mm -hmm. so and i was always wondering like is that's that's kind of a strange key to pick for a guitar based song okay right and so i was always thinking how oh, they must have pitched it up mm -hmm. they must have just played it back faster because also maggie riley's voice sounds a little more um mickey mousy than usual <laughs> mm -hmm. right but it's just it's just kind of like non not noticeable, uh, really. And then when Mike put out the five point one version, right? Mm -hmm. And I listened to it, and in fact, yes, it is an E. It's a half step lower. Like he did not pitch it up for the for the re release for the five point one mix. So I said, okay, that yeah. makes sense. I had a right the right sense for it. It was actually played in E. So why do you think they uh, pitched it up? Because that was that was a common practice at the time. That music was just kind of if they, if you were thinking it wasn't fast enough, you would just pitch it up. Ah, so you think it was because easy. it was it was analog. It was an analog recording, so you could do that, um, and you would you would obviously uh, change the, the the you know like the the sound right. It's not it wasn't like totally independent, no. uh, but like within a half step, it was possible to kind of like speed something up or slow something down. How much are we talking about in terms of speed? Is this uh... Uh, I, I, uh, that's a good question. I don't know know this. Um, I, I could calculate it. The Hall and Oates is also in F minor, isn't it? I mean, they no, just keep... no. I think they, I think their version is in a different key. Okay. I don't know. There's not a huge know. difference. I think it's in, it's, I think it's in D or something. I don't know. I, okay. I haven't, I haven't heard it. Uh, I mean, I have never played along with it, but I'm pretty sure it's not in the same key. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, yeah, and, and like there's also this this beautiful like really um, high pitch guitar solo in Family Man, um, where you know I was I wasn't sure like is it Mike playing is it Rick Fan playing? I was even thinking that it could it could be somebody else who's not credited. I don't know why I have that feeling. What I don't know. It's not Mike. It's it sounded uh, totally typical. Is it someone channeling him then? I I don't I mean I it, I don't know it's just I'm just saying this that I like some in some instances mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure yeah. um, because also like he was certainly picking players according to like his taste mm -hmm. like uh, you know like he, throughout his career like it's fascinating even even going going to um, to 2006 when it was doing like the night of the proms and i mean i know it was just a coincidence that john miles was mm -hmm. part of that and john miles was singing shadow of who all or you know yeah. or playing playing guitar on tubular bells but the way that john miles made the guitar sound was like you know like rock guitars on the 70s and like the the 
like if do you know music by John Myers that yeah. song yeah. like like that lead that lead guitar sound that John has on that song mm. is really very much like an old field mm. kind of thing so so I think I've, that's why sometimes especially like on the um I can't remember now the uh, Tim Rennick was mm -hmm. the the other guitarist on the tour in 82 yeah right and so there is there are also a couple of live versions of and there's like a studio um a studio appearance where they play um five volts um five volts out and family man i think and mistake no make mistake is what they play actually mistake the one the song that is sort of from this time mm -hmm. that was recorded by the mike Oldfield group right and actually and this is like interesting like the the track sheet has as artist mike Oldfield group yeah, oh, Mike Oldfield. Yeah. It was released as a Mike Oldfield album, right? So they must have had the idea to make a group album, hmm. which explains a lot. That's also why, you know, they have the, the you know, the credits. I don't know. Do, does it here? Does it actually credit the composition here? On this, it's, no, it, it does not. Let me see. I have some other set of live notes here. Let's see what it says. Um, all compositions by Mike Offield, except Family Man and Aura Bidou, by Mike Offelton, Crossfit Fan, Mike Fry, Maggie Riley, and Morris Pert. Yeah. That's also yeah. what I have in uh, the CD. Yeah. Later CD reissue. Yeah. Even though the credits are all over the place, you can't rely on the credits because, for example, in, on the credits of my CD, it says for my Mount Tidy, it just says Oldfield, which is an Oldfield Palmer composition. I don't, I don't think it is. You don't think is so? it? No, I thought it was kind it, of it doesn't. It doesn't. I can't call Palmer's playing drums on it, but to me, to me, it, it has nothing to do with what what Carl Palmer would have composed. It doesn't sound like an Emerson Lake and Palmer piece, but uh, it also also like really, really. I don't know. Like to hard me, to say. What, if 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 it's if it's. I mean, it's possible. It's always possible, but I don't think so. I wonder how much of that was actually done in post. In post, because do you know the other piece they recorded ready mix? Yeah, yeah, that has that that. It is so 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 completely that's different. Just a jam. That's just, just a loose jam, jam yeah. kind of thing. No, no, it has nothing to do with. And that's that's where you go. Maybe that was the track that Carl brought. That could have and, been. And Mike brought this. <laughs> so no, Brad, no. Mount, you, know, you never know. No, uh, post production is not the right term here. I think with uh, Montai, it's pretty much a it's a post production thing, like because it's so complex. Like you had to have spent a lot of time piecing it together in the Fairlight mm -hmm. or whatever you use for sequencer, um, because it's like it's a strange cycle. Like I don't remember exactly uh, eighty-seven beats or something. It's really intense that piece, right? Um, so, so it's really um, some pieces you know that uh, you know as a composer you know you can't just improvise something like that you can't just come up with something like that without actually actually at the time like now in any sequence that you can make any any uh any number of notes right but back then you had like your 16 note grids and you had to kind of like make it work and splice things together in an analog way to make odd bars and yeah. stuff like that so so i don't i don't know so um yeah, family man. Fam yeah. So family man, like two and a half step. Um, lo I love it. I love the bass part in it, like because mm -hmm. it's just so minimal and a typical Oldfield. And I think it's Oldfield playing the bass, obviously. Yeah, I think the drums are incredible. Yeah, it's just it's just like the most plain, 
beat but played in a in a Morris Pert way. So it's really groovy. <laughs> I love how it's sort of to, at the end they they almost like a timpani, you know? They're... Yeah, 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 exactly the timpani. Yeah, and the timpani that 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 makes an appearance a um, couple times in this record, three times actually, in Taurus Two and Family Man and in Orobidu. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Orobidu is kind of interesting because I think. Like this was the um, the time that his second son or his first son was born, Dougal, mm -hmm. um, and so Orabidu must be like sort of like a lullaby, kind of the beginning at least. I think lullaby, which probably kind of like relates to his son. I don't know. Orabidu sounds like a word that a child yeah. says, and then you pick up on it and you like it, and you you know. Well, we know we know both know the the, the the jazz label Utsella. That was actually the name Utsella was based on something his. Um, it started, yeah. Nutella, Nutella said with Nutella. Yeah, that's what she said for Nutella. Yeah, I I know that very well because I was there when he when he started the label. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, yeah, yeah. Um, so Orabidu is again like this this beautiful. Um, pastiche of things um again with a, with a very interesting um like the the big section where it actually the aura we do section yeah. in the middle has a really incredible groove which is sort of um again uh, not not in four four but you don't really know what it is and it's like 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 two different cycles overlapping and stuff and um uh, harmonically very simple you just like mount tidy is harmonically incredibly simple but then the rhythm is is stretched so like here you could ask okay maybe what is the influence like you said maybe called palmer on mount tidy possible i don't know um or like morris bird you know and mike fry mm -hmm. contributing on aura Bidu. um yeah. yeah even on this album i think that that piece is Sticks out. It's it's different from from the other pieces, I think. Yeah, but the, even though it's it's re it's uh, referencing, um, like you said, it's the it has the the fugue section. Yeah. That is. Oh, sorry, I meant Mount Tidy. Oh, you mean Mount yeah. Tidy? Mount Tidy is certainly the standout track, and um, but and also Five Miles Out, and both have been, you know, um, not fully been fully produced in his studio. I think so. But mm -hmm. Mike Studio, so I think that makes makes sense. <clears throat> but then, but even Family Man kind of falls out of the. In a way, like all of, of these five pieces are sort of like unique, with yeah. unique sounds. That they, it, it's much less of an album sound than usual for him. Like it's more, like put these different things together, right? But at the same time, you have themes referencing each other, but the sound is quite yeah. different. Like Graham Broad playing on Five Miles Out, very different drum sound. Mm -hmm. Than Morris Bird on the rest of the record, completely different. Mm -hmm. Probably recorded, <coughs> sorry, recorded somewhere else too. Um, uh, anyway, so um, what was I going to say? Yeah, um, uh, Orabidu has like I don't don't haven't counted them, but there's a three, four, five sections, five, six, six sections, I guess, including that beautiful uh, little song at the end. I don't know, Islands Eye yeah. or whatever. Yeah like one may call it, which apparently is a, a Rick Fenn and Maggie Riley thing. Mm. Um, but nobody really has ever spoken up about like who wrote mm. which part. Um, 
I think it would be important to eventually kind of like find out and, you know, for history's sake to have some reference, you know, to know. But who knows if that is ever going to happen. I think they're open open about it. Um, for example, um, the, um, the, the the fugue section, that was also like revealed later on in the interview. So I think um, maybe we should just we probably just need to, to talk to them. Not sure if Maddie Riley wants to talk about that, but um, I, I mean, I'll f I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All I'll be do to me is really that that has more of a, this progressive feeling because it it's really in sections. Mm. But I, what I love about it is that it has these sections, but it feels completely natural. I yes. feel they they belong together in a way that I cannot rationally explain. But I just love how how they move from the beginning to the end. Yeah, but I, I think in, in a way it's like a mini Taurus 2 though. Yeah, it is. Right? So it's just the same format. And it's probably my preferred version of Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know I know what you mean. Uh, <coughs> but as always, like we don't know, like were those leftover parts that would have been part of Taurus 2 yeah. or you know, it's it's always interesting. Yeah, I mean I mean overall this this record is I think it's like everybody needs to know this record. I really think so. It's such a such a joyful, joyful thing. And like five months out is like a is like a mini music, you know, yeah. mini rock opera yeah. with twelve different sections or something. And in four minutes, four minutes, twelve seconds. I think sort of it's take like this. <laughs> yeah, take me slow. It's just so just so. So beautiful, and like this idea to t take a lead vocal with the with the vocoder, mm -hmm. um, with yeah. actual with actual lyrics, you know. And can I? Do you know the, the the sound which closes out the album at the very end of Five Miles Out, which sort of cuts it at the end? Do, do you know what yeah. that is? Is that a, something with the guitar? Or is I think it's it's probably the guitar. Yes, with the whammy bar or something. Yeah, I always wished for that piece to go on just a little bit longer, but I like the way. It, that oh, it could, uh, it could. I mean, it could also be a syn you know, a synthesizer or whatever. But it's really, it's it. What is uh, that? It, it does this portamento thing, mm -hmm. like or, or you know, um, it's being pitched down. It could also be. It could also be like a tape stopping, right? That it's just, be, yeah, could, yeah, yeah, the tape stopping effect, right? But yeah, yeah. I love, I love that too. Even though, I mean. And I think it's like it's like the plane crashing. That's kind of like the sound. I, you know, if it, in a more positive twist, the story, of course, relates to a personal experience he had, and they, I think, he describes going out of the shooting out of the thunderstorm into a uh, again quiet air uh, as a, a champagne cork um, leaving the bottle. Um, so maybe that is just they've now left the storm. Maybe the plane is not crashing, but it's now. The, the 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 panic is over. Yes. <laughs> what is your take, by the way, on the on the cover version of Family Man uh, by Hall and Oates? Um, I I never liked it back in the day. Mm -hmm. So that that version sounds sounds kind of like weak to me, and and doesn't doesn't have the coolness and and sort of like the minimal dryness of the original. Like uh, the original is, I mean, like it's it's not a great greatly produced tune at all. No. But the Hall and Oates version, I I think it's kind of lacking the uh, the vibe. It's smooth. I mean, the original the original yeah. version that they put out, but it was a big hit, so 
Um, what do I know? All power to them. Uh, yes, yes. I totally agree. I think it's a bit anemic. Uh, yes. It's smooth, but it has less character. Yes. But then, like going to the live versions, like and even if you Google like um, family and whole and oats, a family and whole and oats live, mm -hmm. uh, you'll find some cool versions, and they kind of like pay tribute to the original guitar parts. They play them, hmm. right? Like because that is just so cool. You know, it's really it is just incredibly cool. Um, and also, also the, the 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 choice of notes for the melody, right? Like the, yeah. the first note being that dissonant note, right? It's it's just so cool. It's um, but anyway, like yeah, my take on it is that these um, versions that were recorded maybe like in the past ten years for Daryl's house, mm. they really rock, and it's 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 funny to see how like a band like Cheap Trick. Mm. You know, and their vocalist, I don't know the name, but like how he's interpreting that that vocal is just so great. You have to see it. No, it's, 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 it's really, it's really wonderful, like goosebumpy. And thinking of it, like if I were like Mike or the band back then and this yeah. thing, hearing that, I would feel so incredibly uh, moved by it hmm. to see that something that was really, as you say, part of such a record, like such a collection of like just joyful celebration and, and maybe also, um, technical struggle to put something like this together uh, and, and then it kind of like gets this this treatment as being a, a, almost like an a, a American cultural uh, <coughs> um, precious thing somehow, right? It's funny. With, with this album, I, I did not have the urge to buy the vinyl because I think actually on CD, the, the transition between the end of Taurus 2 and Family Man works so well. Yes. It, it has, it, it's incredible. Um, and it increases my uh, perception of this as an Amarok, um, like the pre-thought for, for Amarok, because it's um, one idea after another, after another, and, yeah. and you just, you're locked into it. Um, and maybe I don't like that section, but the next one I know is going to be incredible. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, like the we haven't talked about the end of Taurus too, which mm. is like you get all this like this this um, this climaxing parts, let's say, for a moment, mm. and and like it it kind of like spirals up, and then it explodes just in that major chord at the end, and you would think, okay, it's over. But yeah. Now then you get that zither part with the backwards echo on it. What is that? What is, do you, if you if you actually reverse it into uh, that's reverse, right? It's, it's, a, it's a reverse echo, I think. It's re, it's recorded. It's a delay on the on the part, and but recorded uh, onto tape on backwards okay. onto the tape, and then reverse back again. So you hear the original yeah. going forward, and the delay is going ah, backwards. Okay. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's, and and just it's just like the, so beautiful. Just like again. These 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 three chords at the end, like which is just um, the one four five chord kind of thing mm -hmm. that he like just in tubal bells. That's the what he calls the beautiful melody, and it's always when he always when he uses that sort of like a reprise of that beautiful mm -hmm. theme from tubal bells. So here he puts that at the end, and you know there are a couple of live versions um, also on video where you can see him. Like when they play Taurus 2 live mm -hmm. and people kind of like go crazy and applaud and it's not over. You can see his face, how he wants them to wait mm -hmm. for the end. And then 
like at the end, like the, the feedback of the echo gets turned up and you just hear, and I think at the end it's, it's, I think it's a, it's, it's a fair light shallow sample or something that you hear at the very end. Mm -hmm. And then it gets stuck. Like the needle got stuck on the record. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's really, uh, sort of like the moment when the emotional release happens, not, not before. Yes, I have something similar with cry the crisis end, which is also a series of sort of finales uh, following yes, uh, yes, yes. you and, and all of this is actually referencing our Omadon. Like mm. the kind the kind this kind of finale where the guitar is screaming like that's yeah. that's um both in crisis and five parts out <coughs> and Taurus. Yes. It's it's yeah. a reference, it's a reference to that. And remember the um the lost version of uh Omadon has an afterthought to the mm -hmm. screaming, right? And in a way, that's what's happening in, in Taurus too. There's that little afterthought. And we have that afterthought as well in Crisis. Yeah. So. By the way, the, the echo thing, I think you may be right, because if I look at the diagram now, actually, I can read echo because it's upside down. Yes. So, um, but he's written it down. He's written it the o other way around. O-H-C-E with the leg. Yes. So it suggests that it's somehow, the echo is reversed or upside down. Yes. yes. Whereas the sitter is... Um, yeah, exactly. Bring it forward, forward. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm probably I, I'm going to get this and put it up on my wall. I think it's wonderful. Like the the song Five Months Out" also uh, has the Tubal Bells intro yeah. in its intro, uh, which is kind of cheesy, <laughs> but it's strings, I think. Played on strings, and then if you if you look here in the credits, it says strings on five miles out arranged by Morris Pert and conducted by Martin Ford. Mm -hmm. So it must have been they really got strings into the studio for for this song, and you basically don't don't hear them. There's much. so much work in there. <laughs> yeah, but you basically don't hear them, right? So uh, there's a there's an interesting uh, early version of five miles out on the deluxe edition. Um, which way you could tell that he was really struggling getting that song right because it's so complex, mm. so many parts. Um, I think the way it came out on the record is just it's just wonderful. And again, like I think people need to know this record. I like the the finale of Five Miles Out this because it's a completely different way of reaching a climax in musical terms. Yes. The the the, the laying of the voices and the um, voices singing against and then with each other. I think that. Um, is something completely different, not the way you would expect it, but it really leaves you with a really on a high, I think. On a high, and and really like it's four lines, right? So five miles out, Maggie Riley sings. Then yeah. just hold your heading true is Mike singing. Then got to get your finest out is uh, Maggie Riley singing, and then climbing is the vocoder. Yeah. And that, that's the that's the loop that then ends the the track. And it really is it, it pushes each like the end of the of those four pushes you again back into the first. It's really really clever. Yeah, I mean it's 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 such a yeah. I mean like um, it's sort of like a programmatic music, or in a way like in a way like the uh, what what conceptual like prog rock albums sort of like were sort of meant to be where they tell like a little yeah. bit of story and like he's put everything like into this little four minute song um 
where where it's that 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 story of being in danger and yeah. like at the end like the relief and and uh, you know again it says it says also here you'll be celebrating when you're down and breaking you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that story is actually pretty great in the auto autobiography i think um this is his account of um being up in the plane it's both funny and 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 shocking and horrible that is really one of the best stories in there. Mm -hmm. How they, um, how the pilot is actually is that's his first um, flight, mm -hmm. uh, like this <laughs> real flight, um, and then um, it's supposed to be uh, a day where there's um, just a few isolated thunderstorms which he should be able to navigate around, mm. and then it's one big field and uh, they're the only plane. Um, that's in the air because everyone else obviously thought it was insanity to even go up. <laughs> Um. Yeah. yeah it's it's great like the lyrics they they use these these uh, pilots yeah slang or like like these these terms um and and then it has like the uh in a way the the even the you know the lost in static 18 mm -hmm. that that mike sings um which is sort of like you know, like loosely speaking, like the pill down man hmm. coming back yeah. in a way. Um, that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, and that's that's also like I, as far as I know, at least um, in the transcription book that I had at the time, it's called Ten. Um, this is the only part in any of my Goldfield songs where there is an augmented chord. Mm -hmm. So really, like, and I don't know of any other augmented chord in this music. So it's really no. <laughs> it's special. It's the static eighteen part. As a side note, by the way, it's I think you're supposed to read a comma um, in the I think a comma. It's uh, lost in static eighteen. So eighteen, I think, is the number of the, fl the flight sort of the, the code for the flight and uh, lost in static. Yes, 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 and then it's auto automatic eighteen. Yeah, it's it's funny. Trapped in living hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're prisoner of the dark sky. Yeah, this is a metal song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's really it's really great. <clears throat> yeah, and um I remember and like in this edition of the vinyl, I can't see it anymore. But the um, original edition that I had had the lyrics for for the deep deep sound. Mm -hmm. Printed on it in the on the back sleeve, very in very faint color, like mm. it was barely visible. And I see that this edition doesn't even have it anymore. Or was it? Uh, no, it was Islands. No, it was Islands Eye actually. Okay. Or maybe both was on there in the original, but I can't. Yeah, I can't find it here anymore. Let's see. No, it's not not present on this artwork. This is the two thousand. What is it? Thirteen. Yes, the 2013 13 stereo, stereo remaster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I actually have the I, sh I showed you to be as the um, the poster I have yeah. of the yeah. of the show that I went to in '82. I I have that. Yeah, incredible. Like you know, like for this record, I I'm pretty sure I could still be saying more. But what's the text? By the way, there's a lot of text I can see in the. Um... Uh, in the printed inner, what what does it actually say there? What is it? Um, you mean this? No, this is it. Is a liner note this to is, the this reissue. Is Mark, Mark Powell uh, wrote okay. this. Ah, so that's for the reissue. Okay. Yes, for the reissue. 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, we haven't said that this was the, the 82 was also the year when he made the longest tour yeah. ever. I don't know. Like, I can't remember now how many shows it was, but it was a lot. Yeah. Like 150 shows or something like crazy. Yeah. Almost every other day they, they must have played. It was, I mean, generally speaking, the 80s was such an intense time with constant touring and then recording and, and writing on the tour. And then maybe just a short break after the tour and then recording the album and going on tour again. And this goes on until, uh, basically until um, um, Earth Moving. Not really. No? No, because he stopped, he stopped touring after 84. Completely oh, stopped. With Goose One, there was few. No, 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 completely stopped. It was only between like 84 or like 85 and 87. This was the time of the of the TV experience, uh, mm. appearances, right? And especially around like the uh, pictures in the dark. Um, unfortunately, there was no live appearance or live, well, at least appearance for the song uh, Shine. Um, there was uh, there was also like like we we're going to get to that, but there was also crime of passion, mm. right? So, but the, but all of this was not really relevant to the to the um, you know there weren't like um, crime of passion actually was performed on the eighty four tour, mm. interestingly enough. And like I need to say this that the the show I saw in Essen on the uh, uh, five miles out tour, mm. they played a version of in high places. Yes, which is on a crisis, and also they played uh, Etude, which you know, the killing uh, fields. on the killing fields. So, so eighty-two, like this album and that tour, already kind of like had some material that you know yeah. appeared later present. Right? Okay, man. Have, shall we? Shall we leave it at that? For I, think, I think. I uh, think. I mean, this was this was dense. Yeah, it is. It is super dense. I feel like I've I've talked too much. No, it uh, was. Uh, I love. Um, because you know and love this album so deeply. Yeah. Do you have anything else on your list? No, I, I, um, I think a lot, lot of that actually refers more to crises. Um, okay. Okay, so uh, thanks so much for listening, right, everybody? Yeah. And um, I, I suggest also, like, we haven't really, um, you know, spoken to you listeners directly yet, but if you can sort of, like, help promote this podcast, like, with other old fans or music fans, please do. And uh, yeah, we'll see you again next time for Crisis.